Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining my brother and I for what is going to be a fantastic podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. Volumes 1 through 8 are available at Amazon in paperback and ebook format. And if you're an audiophile, you could get volumes 1 through 7 and soon to be 8 at Audible iTunes and Amazon.com as well. And if you have interest in learning how to align yourself to make a few more shekels fall in your bank account, I've written a new book called How to Make Money, God's Universal Laws for Wealth and Prosperity. That little book is a real eye-opener, my friends, to those who will adhere to the teachings. And without any further ado, let me bring in my brother, K.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Super duper under some dismal skies and cold temperatures in the rain. We Yeah, I was out on the Noose River Trail this morning, um, and uh, it was misting and about 49 degrees here on Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, yeah. Put the kibosh on a lot of plans on the East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Yesterday here it was 87 and then today it's 49. Jeez. So it's go figure. Half half the temperature, more than half the temperature. Yeah, it's chilly. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. But you know what? It is what it is. You live. It's all good. We keep going, you know. It's all good. I like it. I, I don't mind. I I don't want it to be this way all the time. Unfortunately, it's not in North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, like the old saying, right? If you don't like the weather, just wait a minute. Wait a minute, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. Uh, today is a rare day in that I don't know exactly what you're coming to the table with, but I do have a pretty good idea as the subject matter. Yeah, well, I asked you to look at a couple of things yeah. if you had a chance so that if you hadn't seen them, we could talk about them uh with a little bit more color, and if you haven't had a chance to, that's no problem. I'll try to put as much color on them as possible. Yeah, and this, is, of course, is one of my favorite subjects. And, folks, if you're new to this podcast, yes, it's Bigfoot Terror in the Woods. Uh, but we plug in our other oddities segment at the beginning where we launch little investigations into everything from UFOs to poltergeists in England 
and <laughs> anything else you can imagine. Sea creatures, yeah. you name it. Sea yeah. creatures and weird-looking guys wandering around your backyard. And my favorite, Spring-Heeled Jack. <laughs> so, yes, we do. And sometimes Kev pulls a, a Bigfoot story, uh, either oh, old yeah. or new, into our oddities segment. Absolutely. So go ahead, Kim. Give it a give yeah, it a whirl. So so we're we are in fact going to talk about UFOs, and um, it's interesting. So here we are. It's May thirtieth when we're filming uh, filming when we're recording this podcast, and of course my brother and I are separated by about six hundred miles, recording it simultaneously while we're uh, looking at each other on Skype, and. Um, in the month of June, so coming up in two days at some time during the month of June, uh, uh, the Pentagon is scheduled to release a non-classified report to Congress on the subject of UFOs. And the goal is for them to disclose a lot of the stuff that they have apparently been seeing on a regular basis um, that the public hasn't really heard about until recently. And we've only heard about it in bits and pieces over the last year or so. Yeah, interesting, Kev, too. And when you say uh, seeing things on a regular basis, uh, that one uh, sailor or airman uh, who was uh, speaking on the uh, camera said they were seeing these things on a daily basis. Yeah, off the coast of Virginia in... uh, Secure fly zones, That's so areas where you're not supposed to fly in unless you're the military. That he said that he was seeing them on a daily basis and really just got tired of reporting them because they could count on seeing them every day. Yeah, yeah, it was like somebody it's showing just, up. It was like somebody showing up for work and punching a time clock. Just wild. So, so the real trigger and what I'm going to talk about a lot in this podcast is the episode that was aired on 60 Minutes a few weeks ago. So the CBS television show, 60 Minutes. And I'm going to put a link to the whole uh, uh, segment of the episode on UFOs and UAPs, or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, as uh, the government has adjusted to calling them recently. Um, I'm going to put a link to that segment. It is fantastic, folks. I don't care if you hate 60 Minutes. You should watch the link that I put up, and we're going to talk about it today. Okay. Yeah, fantastic. Very interesting. I watched it, Kev. Uh, I actually saw it before. And, uh, you know, you don't have to read very deeply into what's being said there uh, (laughs) to understand (laughs) what we're getting at. So, so No, and I think what's interesting about what's coming out, like, in this report on 60 Minutes and – you know, some of the supporting uh, videos that are now unclassified, going all the way back to the uh, famous 2004 Tic Tac incident off of the USS Nimitz off San Diego with the with the U.S. Naval aviators, including the, the commander of the squadron of F-18 Hornets, who is also a Top Gun flight instructor. Okay, so this guy's no slouch. Yeah. He's he appears on 60 Minutes talking about that sighting going up to modern day sightings. You know, not that 2004 was so long ago, but just sightings in the last year or two as well. Yeah. So super cool stuff. And and I think what, you know, is really going on is that for decades, the U.S. government 
was saying publicly that there was no evidence of the existence of these crafts. But over the last few months, they've released more footage documenting the U.S. military's contact with these mysterious unidentified craft. You know, and now, like I mentioned, the U.S. Congress is awaiting a detailed, non-classified report of what they've seen and any related conclusions around the sightings. So, you know, I'm hopeful that it's something interesting, uh, but because it's completely, you know, it, or not completely, but because it's not scheduled to be a non-classified report, there are folks out there saying, don't get your hopes up too high for what you're going to hear in this report. Well, the 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 issue has been, Kev, in the field of u- ufology, that there seem to be two entities at work within our government. One that reports what they will to the people and to each other, and then these other black project areas that, according to uh, common knowledge, if it is that common, uh, don't report to anybody, (laughs) including the president. So, you know, we've been kind of over a barrel for a long time when we talk about these things and debate what's going on, as to what is really going on, and who really knows it? Who has the hard data? You know, and uh, you wonder, like, how can things happen without anybody having to report to somebody else? It's, it's Oh, but that happens all the time. I, I think that's the, you know, the real realistic aspects of our federal government. You know, like when you look at all of the what they call the black projects, right. right, that are so secret, even if you have a top secret clearance, you uh, you don't know about them unless you have a need to know and you can be read into them. And, and then the data about them can only be shared literally inside of a secure room, Yeah, you know, where no listening devices are possible and you're not allowed to bring anything in with you. Yeah. Um, you know, but the fact of the matter is that that we spend billions and billions of dollars on projects that no one in, you know, outside of that read in clearance level has knowledge of. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So so it's not shocking to me that then when there's reports of things, no one outside of a certain circle has knowledge of either. I mean, it's just the way the government works. I'm not saying it's bad. Uh, or good. It's just the way it is. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah. You know, uh, but it's frustrating, though, for people who are trying to uh, uh, get a leg up on what's going on and everything. Oh, is, yeah. Everything is met with, you know, it's not real. But here we clearly see it's real as if we needed to be well, told that's, that. That's what I think is most interesting about what I'm going to talk about today and when folks go out and go to BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com and follow the link and watch the video to the footage as well. And I think what's most interesting about it, Bill, is, you know, if you're a believer in whatever it is we talk about on cryptids and other oddities, you'll tend to jump in and say, that's real. Right. Because you're a believer. Right. And again, I'm not saying it's bad or I'm not saying it's good. But I think what's super cool about this footage is it's really hard if you're a skeptic to not believe that there is something going on here. That's correct. You know, and now don't get me wrong. There are skeptics out there that are saying it is a, a parallax effect of the camera. They're saying, you know, this high speed FLIR camera that's mounted on an F-18, 
the F-18 is moving at, you know, say 500 miles an hour and the other objects moving at 500 miles an hour or something like that. And because the two are moving so fast, um, you see a distortion and you see movement where there really isn't movement. And in fact, you may be looking at a weather balloon or something like that. Right. But, you know, that, you know, you really got to be a skeptic to think that because here's a person who's a commander of a squadron in the U.S. Navy and, like I said, Top Gun instructor graduate. And he's saying very clearly, this is, you know, uh, at a UAP. He's not saying it's from outer space, but he is saying it's nothing like anything that the U.S. government has. So either it's like Russian, it's Chinese, or it's from another world. Yeah. And I'll tell you right now, um, just amongst other things, uh, no weather balloon or or <laughs> anything else for that matter is dropping in altitude from 80,000 feet to the deck in a second. Yeah. 80,000 feet per second. Yeah, and that was the quote from uh, the Nimitz, right? And, yeah. Uh, and the radar ships that were tracking it. That's 80, right. Dropped, descending 80,000 feet in less than a second. Unbelievable. Yeah. And it, so this is fantastic. I know we talked about it a little bit before, but there's more details coming out now. So I'm going to touch on it again. So this is, and they're both on this 60 Minutes episode, by the way. The commander of the squadron and his wing person. And I say wing person because it's actually a woman flying the F-18 next to him. And they each have, uh, you know, a navigator sitting behind them, right? Each is a two-person craft. And all four of them, as well as everybody on the radar ship, saw all of this taking place. And what's wild is when they saw this craft on radar drop 80,000 feet in less than a second, they called these two F-18s out there to investigate. And he and his wing person went out and they saw that now infamous roiling white water the size of a 737 on the surface of the otherwise smooth ocean. Yeah. Yeah. And then they see this spherical craft right over the surface of the water um, where, the, where the white water is uh, roiling, right? Uh-huh. And he tells his wing person, hey, I'm going to descend and check this out and get a closer look. So he flies down with the F-18, and as he gets closer and closer to this craft, this craft starts coming up to meet him and starts mirroring his movement <laughs> the whole time. I mean, these are his words, yeah. right? Yeah, okay, yeah. So it's not a crazy guy. Yeah. And he, you know, he says as he moves one way, it moves the other way to mirror his movement. And then all of a sudden, as he closes in on it, it disappears. Right. Right in front of him and right, right, you know, as filmed in the gun cameras, et cetera. Right, right. So and then very importantly, I think is cool. It gets to a point you mentioned earlier, Bill. His wing person says, you know, I never dreamed or wished to be on national TV. Right. And if I wasn't there with someone else, I would have never reported this. Right, right. But because the both of us are there and the one pilot is a commander of the squadron and he's reporting it at the time, this was classified, right? It's no longer classified, but they reported it and documented it. And, um, and it was buried, okay? Yeah, yeah. Never talked about. And that's where... 
part of this comes in on uh, the 60 Minutes episode where they start talking to this gentleman, uh, Luis Alessandro, who is a military person, you know, worked with the government, worked with the Pentagon. But, you know, he wasn't somebody that was involved in UFOs at all. And, you know, says like, in my words, you know, that he basically wasn't a believer at all in UFOs. And he was asked to join this group back in 2008 called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Okay. And um, he starts looking into it. And his conclusion is, okay, these things are real. The only question is, what is it? And what are their intentions and capabilities? Right. And they talk about the fact that, you know, they think they can do about 13,000 miles an hour, pull hundreds of Gs, they have no signs of propulsion as we know it, so mm-hmm. basically no heat signature, mm-hmm. and they can fly through the air, water, and space. Right, and they have no control surfaces visibly. Yeah, no, no visible control surfaces. And um, you know what's really, and 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 you know they see them at high altitude, low altitude, and they have this ability to seem to rotate on their axis while they're moving along as well. Yeah which we've seen that footage. And, you know, so he comes in and he starts doing this investigation, pushing to get stuff unclassified and, you know, like the the uh, the Nimitz footage that we talked about and have reported on before, that that's part of uh, what he pushed to have unclassified and moved into the public. And then one of his colleagues actually leaked that to the press. And that's how we all found out about it, right? Because just because it's not classified... Somebody still has to find it. Yep. You know, um, and then it turns out that the government disbanded that group and they took the funding away. So, you know, I'm not saying they took it away because of that, but for whatever reason, the funding went away, mm-hmm. which is also pretty interesting. And now, pretty recently, the task force is reinstated, not the same task force, but it's reinstated around, again, what they now call, the government now calls UAPs, mm-hmm. or Unidentified uh, Aerial Phenomena. And they're also encouraging people to report, you know, military people, to report on what they see, where they never really did that before. Yeah, and, you know, whatever these things are, uh, they definitely have a vested interest in military operations of all kinds. And we could fall back to the many uh, silo sightings of uh, UFOs being seen loitering over the tops of missile silos. Uh, One of the most famous ones we were talking about recently was the old Rendlesham Forest incident. Uh, but we have them occurring in the United States and other areas of the world where missiles are suddenly inoperable or their uh, count was initiated to launch. Oh, I haven't heard about those. Oh, yeah, Kim. Yeah, we got we to gotta dig into this a little bit because there's a lot to this story going back a long time. Uh, in fact, uh, I had a co-worker who was uh, former military police uh, up in, uh, what was it, Idaho, Wyoming. Uh, Anyways, uh, he verified to me that uh, such things had happened on his base, and he was an MP. 
So, you know, these things are going on. Uh, they're swept under the rug. In the case of uh, the, the where Lou Alessandro had been working and the funding stopped, it's really a plug-and-play operation. You know, when they think the heat is being turned up, they back off. You know, they don't want to bring anybody into what they really know. Yeah, I mean, you could certainly reach that conclusion, but we don't know. Right. You know, it could have been anything. That's right. It could have been that. I mean, even the bill that's pushing for this uh, this report in June, it was actually tied into the uh, uh, one of the stimulus packages that was signed off in December. <laughs> yeah, they slip stuff in there, you know. Yeah, that's what I mean. They slip stuff in and stuff slips out as well. It could be that simple. Right. But the, the last point I'll make is... Uh, this former Navy Lieutenant Ryan Graves, you know, so he's one of the folks on film. Um, I think he's not in the 60 Minutes episode, but, you know, you, we'll put his posting up there as well. And he's one of the folks that came out and said that he and his colleagues spotted the objects in the res- restricted airspace off Virginia on a daily basis. And he said they filmed it all the time and, and got so to- got so used to seeing it that they took them for granted. And this is in uh, um, between 2015 and 2019. Mm -hmm. Okay, at least that's what it's reported on. And it's interesting, when he's interviewed, he says like, you know, if this was uh, Russian aircraft or Chinese aircraft and we knew about them being in this restricted airspace, we would take action. Right. Um, But he said it was pretty frustrating because we would see this stuff every day and nothing's supposed to be in this airspace, but yet nothing would happen as a result of seeing it. And I I thought that was fascinating. You know, I know it's a simple thing, but that concept where these military pilots that are there to guard us and protect us um, and they're putting their lives in danger, they see this stuff every day. But they don't they're not able to take any action and they don't hear of anything coming of it, which that that's probably the strangest aspect of this whole report. When you think about it. Well, see, if you're a regular enlisted man, uh, it, it makes you bear the question of are we being told to stand down and not being told that ourselves? In other words, are our commanders on the inside knowing that it's ours and just don't say anything, just carry on as usual, or is it that we don't know what it is, and frankly, we don't know what to do about it? Well, that's it, and they're not even enlisted men, Bill. I mean, these guys are, you know, uh, lieutenants uh, in the Navy flying, you know, anywhere from probably $50 million to $300 million aircraft. Yeah, no, I'm just talking about, yeah. you know, your average sailor on the deck, you know, guys going about their daily uh, work routine and seeing these things because it wasn't just the pilots seeing them. Guys on the boat oh, were no, seeing no. them. You but know, I'm saying even the pilots are like, "What the heck is this?" Yeah, yeah, and you, you know, know, and how come we're not doing anything about it? But they got to keep doing their job, right? Right. right. Just, and then you know, the last, the last uh, uh, thing I'll mention, and I'll post this also. This footage on uh, uh, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com is this 2019 footage from the deck of the Omaha uh, off the coast of California. And this is this spherical object. So this is a deck camera, military deck camera, seeing this round black thing during the daytime uh, above the horizon, you know, but doesn't look like it's that far away, you know, so it's before the horizon, so less than, what, seven or eight miles away, depending on how high the ship is. 
And uh, they're talking about it. They're watching it move back and forth. And then all of a sudden, the thing splashes down into the ocean and disappears. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> that is unbelievable. And, you know, go back to the uh, uh, the two F-18s going down to take a look at that uh you, yeah, and then you, the November 2004 Nimitz. Yeah, the encounter. one that was kind of uh, broiling up the water. What they call it, roiling? Yeah, just white roiling water. Yeah. yeah, but when that thing took off, when he said it disappeared, the radar men on the vessel picked it up 60 miles away. Oh, that's right. Yeah, like it reappeared a second later. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know what to think, right? Yeah, I mean, crazy. if you're moving that fast and then putting the brakes on, uh, if you had an occupant in there like a human being, that would be the equivalent of, like, you hitting a bridge abutment at, like, 400 miles an hour in your car. You, yeah, no thanks. You'd just be a pancake. <laughs> and yet these things can seemingly do whatever they want at will. Yeah. You know, I, I you know. I doubt, I highly doubt that it's any of our uh, potential adversaries globally, uh, anything they own or do, because I I believe that we are firmly at the apex of technology, Uh, whether we know about it or, or not as citizens, I believe they have stuff that's incredible. So if you see something that you think is incredible, probably, uh, 20 years beyond that, they already have what you're going to see coming down the road, you know? Oh, no doubt about it. But, but you know, I do think, and I know you're not saying this, I think the Chinese and the Russians have probably close to what we have. And in some areas, you know, some of the stuff they have may even be a little more advanced than some of the stuff we have is more advanced in different areas. You know, wherever someone concentrates on, mm-hmm. you know, you read about this, uh, I think it's called the Poseidon nuclear torpedo or whatever that the Russians have, which is just frightening when you read about it. You know, I, I don't know that we have anything like that, you know, um, but but yet, you know, hopefully we have something that can neutralize it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well... <laughs> I'm happy. But anyway, Bill, this is going to be, you know, we're not quite there in June yet. We're a couple of days away, but it's going to be an exciting month, I think, when this report comes out. And by the way, folks, you know, we're talking a lot about the military. Um, we're here on Memorial Day weekend. We do have to say to all the military out there, uh, past and present, thank you for your service. And uh, thank you for uh, allowing us all to be free. And we know freedom is not truly free. Yeah, and by the way, we are definitely pro-military. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no doubt about it. And by the way, Kev, thanks for the short video of that gunship coming down the river the other day. That was freaking awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, I was, folks, I was out at the coast, and you know, I'm always talking about the helicopters, and we got a funny listener mail that references that. But I was out at the coast, and we were walking along... Uh, um, the Cape Fear River, and all of a sudden we hear this roar, and um, my wife tells me, hey, look behind you, and it was a Cobra gunship coming down the river, a couple of hundred feet off of the river, probably doing 150 knots, 
and uh, as fast as I get my phone out and start the video, but it looked like I was filming a Bigfoot because it was a little shaky and wobbly. <laughs> yeah. And this guy came by and cut a big bank turn and then went whipping down the river. So I sent it out to my brother so he could see it. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned to my brother, folks, that because he commented about, you know, taking a picture of a Bigfoot and shaking the camera. <laughs> Kevin and his wife had a chance to hear this monster coming. And still, he had all he could do to get his uh, camera out and running to catch this thing for like three seconds. Uh, And that was having heard this thing like an explosion coming in the distance, then visually seeing it and catching it going over. So when you think it's some easy thing to catch footage of a Bigfoot on the camera, think again. Yeah, in the forest, too. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I... uh, I'm not in that camp. I don't believe it's an easy thing to do. Uh, and I told I told you a couple of uh, podcasts back how the one UFO sighting I had, I had a 35-millimeter camera in the glove compartment of my Jeep and uh, didn't get it. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I have no explanation for that, uh, but uh, I had a camera and didn't get it, so... Take that for what you will. All right, Bill, what do you got for us today? I have an interesting uh, sighting here, as is always the case. And this uh, brief but very unusual sighting uh, was brought to my attention by Craig Hawthorne, uh, who at the time was accompanied by his friend Seth Haynes. And this is what uh, Craig had to say about his sighting in June of 1986. As I already told you, I was born and raised in Montana and remained there as a resident until my 27th birthday, after which I followed a career path that landed me in New Jersey. My life then stands in stark contrast to the life I lead now, and I have many fond memories, including what I'm about to share with you and, in this case, your listeners. My friend Seth and I used to do a fair amount of just about anything in regards to the outdoors. We fished, rode horses, and did a lot of camping and hiking. On the particular day of this sighting, we had planned a day hike beginning in the town of Wisdom, which is situated on the edge of Beaverhead Deer Lodge National Forest. Our plan was to head southwest along the Big Hole River, heading into the forest with the Bitterroot Mountains in full view to our southwest. We had been hiking for several hours, taking short breaks here and there to take in the beautiful scenery, and had come into an area of open grass hills, which were sporadically patched with clusters of what I believe were firs or spruce trees. It was so long ago that, frankly, I don't remember, but they were pines nonetheless. So we had just sat down for one of our breaks, and from our position going off into the distance, there was one very large patch of these dark green pines to our northwest. At the time, there was nothing unusual at all about what we were seeing as far as the landscape went, the view being somewhat repetitious in the area in which we were hiking. 
I do remember that Seth had broken out his binoculars as, and was scanning the surrounds for any wildlife when suddenly I saw two figures emerging from this large patch of pines. I immediately told Seth to look at what I was seeing as I reached for my own binoculars. I hadn't even taken them out of the case when Seth said, It's a Bigfoot with a wolf. I focused my glasses on the two figures now as well, and sure as shooting, it was a huge Bigfoot walking along with what appeared to be a wolf or a really large coyote. If my memory serves me correctly, at the time, I think the yardage was maybe three or four hundred yards at best, and with the binoculars, we had an up-close and personal view of the two creatures. The two of them stood in sharp contrast to the grassy terrain which they were walking in, with nothing in front of them or behind them to obscure or seeing them. The Bigfoot was very tall and moved in a very deliberate and lethargic manner, but we soon realized that what appeared to be a very slow pace to us was actually quite fast. I say this because the beast was covering a large amount of real estate in a short span of time. As our eyes were drawn to the movement of the canine now, its legs were moving at an extremely fast pace to keep up with the Bigfoot's strides. This wolf or coyote stayed about three feet to the left rear side of the Bigfoot the entire time we watched them just like a pet would tag along with its owner. Now, I understand that this is as far-fetched an event as many as, are, as many are able to absorb or to comprehend in a natural mind. Having said that, this is exactly what we were looking at, and it went on for a good ten minutes as these two creatures walked away into the distance. Of course, neither of us had any idea as to how these two creatures had made their unlikely alliance in the wilderness. The canine did look a little mangy, so the thought had crossed our minds that perhaps it was pushed out of the pack at some point in time, becoming united with the Bigfoot. At no point did the Bigfoot turn to look at us. It was apparently unaware of our presence watching from afar. The creature was exceedingly tall, more than likely in the neighborhood of seven to eight feet in my estimation, and was virtually covered in fur from head to toe. Even at the distance we were watching from, the feet appeared to be abnormally large for its body size, and the arms were, in fact, very long. Its fingers seemed to be perpetually curled inward, and the knuckles hung at about knee level as the arm swung in cadence with its steps. One of the oddest things was that this canine, whatever it was, behaved very much like our own pet dogs do. It was stopping regularly to sniff various things along the way, followed by speeding up to keep pace with its apparent master. The amount of ground that was covered by this beast, which to the eye appeared to be walking rather sluggishly, was staggering. In fact, at times the wolf or coyote appeared to have to step it up, 
to what would be a trot to keep up, particularly after it had stopped to sniff around for a spell. Another thing which I would add to the beast's description would be the fact that its head was leaning in a way that to me appeared abnormally forward. In other words, if you were to see a human walking or standing in such a posture, you would think that the individual had something seriously wrong with them, which rendered them unable to straighten up due to something along the lines of spinal degeneration or the like. However, having said as much, I believe it was caused by the sheer bulk of the creature's muscles, which were immense to say the least. At any rate, having sat in total stillness for what was a total of about 15 minutes, as the two creatures walked away, they finally had reached a point where they were obscured by another patch of trees near the top of the hill, disappearing from our view. We were left speechless, dumbfounded, as the sighting ended. These two, in my estimation, were a team in life for whatever reason. And your guess is as good as mine how that could or would come to be. What do you think of that, Kev? That is wild, Bill. Pretty strange, huh? Yeah, either a wolf or coyote, uh, equally as strange. Like, I've been been reading a lot about the coyote because, you know, we got a coyote problem or at least a coyote population out at the coast. Uh Uh-huh. And it's so weird because my house at the coast is on a pretty small island and we have a lot of coyote. So, you know, you wonder how did they get there? And when you research it, they swam like they are just really uh, an ambitious breed. Yeah. <laughs> but what's interesting about them is they uh, they learn to adjust. So, you know, like they're typically lone hunters, but like they'll hunt in packs if they have to hunt in packs. Whereas like the wolves, you know, part of uh, uh, what, what you know, made them extinct in some places, now they're making a comeback, is apparently they only hunted in packs and they only hunted for like bigger stuff that would support the pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the coyotes will eat squirrels or whatever they want, or they'll get together with their other coyote friends and hunt down a deer or two. Yeah. Um, so, we, I mean, it could be either beast, you know, I, but I've never heard anything like that. It's <coughs> yeah, it's kind of unusual, right? I mean, just the thought of... Super, super unusual. Well, first off, there's a Bigfoot, and uh, that's unusual in itself. Yeah. And then there's a Bigfoot with either a wolf or a coyote buddy. I mean, it sounds almost like a cartoon, right? Yeah, and who knows? Maybe this thing was just following for that moment in time with no fear of it, uh, having not been attacked or not... That rec- could be as well. Maybe it scavenged, you know, some remnants uh, an hour before. Right. And we're all, we, you know, this person's reporting on seeing it, but it wasn't like they were true pals right. or something. Like, you're right. Maybe the Bigfoot had been eating something. This thing grabbed a little bit of it and then said, hey, maybe I'll follow this guy and see yeah, if I can get like another a, meal. Yeah, kind of like a fish or a pelican following a shark along after it had a meal. Exactly. So it's not it's not that unusual in nature for the lesser to follow the more formidable, <laughs> right. you know, in the food chain. I mean, we even see like ravens jumping around, uh, you know, an eagle picking at some type of uh, carrion, you know, and you say... I don't know, Bill, do you have vultures up there on the island? Yeah, we do have that, uh, I think they call it an American vulture. Okay, yeah. 
Uh, I've yet to see one on the ground. Oh, man. They, we see them on the ground every day here. Yeah. 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 But I see them soaring. Yeah. But I've never seen them on the ground eating, you know, roadkill or something. Oh, yeah. They're eating squirrels, whatever they find dead. I don't think they kill anything. You know, they specialize in cleanup. Yeah. So uh, very interesting, though. And, you know, these guys, look, why would you bring up such a thing? You know, I mean, anybody could say about any account that it's just a story, right? You could say that about everything that is communicated uh, by anyone, anywhere. Bigfoot, UFO, poltergeist, you know, sea monsters, Everything is just a story. And to me, that's just, it's, it's more hard to believe than the story. I agree. You know, so, and now we're into the, uh, uh, this discussion at the beginning of the show about this complex uh, UAP phenomena. All of these people are not telling stories on the decks and in the cockpits of multi-million dollar jet fighter planes, you know, that. Yeah. Highly educated, highly trained, and uh, these aren't all weather balloons flying around, folks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just not happening. No, I agree. Yeah, very crazy. I agree. Cool stuff, Bill. Good uh, good um, account, though, from a really rural part of the U.S. where, hey, anything can happen out there. Yeah, and uh, by the way, I'll give the listeners a little heads up. I'm... Uh, Working on a new book, surprise, surprise, and uh, it's going to be on UFO sightings and encounters. Oh. And included in that book are going to be uh, some of my own UFO uh, sightings and encounters, and I'm also going to uh, include many of the UFO Bigfoot-related sightings from my existing books. And a host of other sightings related to UFOs. So uh, look forward to that, and it's going to be very, very interesting. Super cool. Yeah. So there's always something going on over here (laughs) at the typewriter, shall we say. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, uh, I'm doing the final proof right now on Volume 9, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods. So uh, we can look forward to that in the future, as well as the launching of the Audacity Volume 8, if you can keep track of all of this stuff. I can't keep track, <laughs> yeah, Bill. I exactly. Up. Exactly. I got lost when you said, hello, my name is W.J. Sheehan. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, boy, but we're busy. Busy beavers over here. Cool. Cool. So what do we got, Kev? Yeah, we got some great listener mail. Um, So the first one comes in from Heather in Minnesota. Uh Uh-huh. And her subject is Love the Podcast. She writes, My name is Heather, and I'm from the Northwoods of Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. but I live in Minnesota currently. Or Minnesota. Minnesota. I've been binging on your podcast for the last month. 
with a mixture of excitement to be up to speed and disappointment to be done with my nonstop listening. When I got a chance, I listened to the last episode today. Uh Not the last episode, Heather, just the last episode that we had recorded at that point in time. (laughs) And she says, you guys have been my companions through many an hour of cleaning, gardening, and exercising. While cutting back my prairie grasses and enjoying a beer or two, I thought it would be a fun drinking game to have a drink every time Bill talks with an English accent. (laughs) Or Kevin says, when I was in Alaska. (laughs) When either of you says, if you see something, say something. Or when Bill says, Oregon. (laughs) You mean Oregon? Or the Apache helicopters fly over. (laughs) Or Martha is mentioned. (laughs) That's fantastic. And then she writes, on a serious note, there are some deep woods in northern Wisconsin that I grew up in. Do you have any accounts from there? Mm -hmm. Love the show. And that's saying a lot because my usual genre of podcasts is true crime. (laughs) Keep up the good work, Heather. (laughs) <laughs> well, Kev, uh, you know, I don't know if you picked up on it, but it uh, seems to me that uh, Heather has a little bit of a problem. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, love, I love the drinking game. I, I'm, you know, I'm not super happy that I say when I was in Alaska so much, but okay. <laughs> I'm fine mentioning Martha. And by the way, today is Martha's 13th birthday. <laughs> but... <laughs> Happy birthday, Martha. But let's go back to Heather for a minute, Kev. It seems to me that Heather is looking to hit the jug when any word is spoken. (laughs) And listen, I wouldn't trim all of that prairie grass because it may cushion your fall. So keep, so keep that in mind. Yeah, be careful using the power tools. Yeah, too, yeah. watch them. The drinking game. Watch them power tools when you're hitting the shine jug, sister. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, that's good. I, lo- I love that drinking game, though. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's fun, you know. And we're glad cool. to have you listening. And the next one comes in from another lady listener. Uh, Judy. And Judy says, hey, guys, thanks to both of you for such an informative and entertaining podcast series. I've just discovered your programs and books and really enjoy your mix of curiosity, research and humor. I like especially the relationship between you both and how genuine, how genuine and natural the camaraderie is. Keep up the wonderful work, and yes, I always carry more gun than I think I'll need. Nice. God bless you both. Nice. I like that. I like that. <laughs> and it would be nice if you told us what type of gun you carry, and I'm always interested. Yeah, get back to us. Get back to us, uh, Judy. I'm always interested in what uh, people are packing. Both <laughs> as a short barrel and a long barrel as well. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know? Cool. I remember as a little kid, uh, Kev, you remember Joe Weiss? Oh, yeah. So uh, Joe Weiss's uncle uh, used to stop by their house uh, periodically in his squad car. Uh, He was a cop locally, and we were little, man. I I didn't know much about him, uh, but he would stop by in his uniform, and he had his big black belt on with his uh, 
38 caliber snub nose revolver. And we used to be like, wow, man, this is really cool, you know. And he was a big, tall guy. I don't know, remember. He was six foot something, I bet you. And uh, we were always uh, impressed, you know, but the uniform and uh, the shield and the squad car parked out front, you know, and a few things he had in the trunk, you know. And oh, yeah. It was just interesting, you know. But I'll never forget the snub nose 38. <laughs> wow. Yeah, a little man. different today. <laughs> yeah, well, now they're into all of these uh, nine millimeter, you know. Yeah, the forty fives. Most yeah. of them are moving to the nine, I think, because the uh, ammo is so much easier to get than the forty five. Right, and of course they have a clip with more shells in it than the old six shot revolver. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, Multi- and multiple clips on their belt too. Right. For the speed load magazines. Yeah, so uh, it's just interesting, cool. you know. All right, and our next one comes from the UK. But the author of the email would like to be anonymous. Uh-huh. But he said he writes, "Okay, so there is a local businessman who shall remain nameless, who bought a massive house and complex in nor- in the North Devon countryside. He likes to show off and pur- purchased a panther to impress his wife and friends. He's a local legend." After a while, the big cat grew restless and managed to escape Mm. and couldn't be found. This story came to light after the attacks on farm animals arose in the area. Mm. The animal is thought now to be dead, as no encounters have been heard of in many years. People still scare their kids with the tale of the Beast of Exmoor Mm. and will always be remembered by cryptozoology fans like yourself. If still interested, books are available. Hope this helps. Please don't use my name, but I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I've read three of your books so far. Hmm. Blimey. Sounds to me, my brother, like the bloke caught me wandering around in the woods. Oh, Heather, you better have a drink. Yes. (laughs) He didn't know that W.J. had a mansion over there, did he? (laughs) <laughs> was that Black Panther uh, really a Black Labrador? Or was it I was dressing up my Labrador as a panther. Martha looks like a Black Panther <laughs> if you had a bunch to drink and she's slinking around the edge of the hedges. Looking for a ripe tomato. Exactly. <laughs> Not out there yet, but she keeps checking. Killer tomatoes. We got some green ones. <laughs> She's all right. And our next <coughs> note comes in from Jeff, and uh, Bill. Jeff sent you some pictures of a Bigfoot print that he found, and he writes that those are size eight shoes that he's wearing, and he said they look like the prints look like sixteens. But he said what's really odd is that the print actually goes across the trail and that there was thick brush on either side of the trail, um, which is kind of strange. So instead of walking along the trail, he got the prints where it was crossing the trail. Right, right. So the idea that uh, the Bigfoot would necessarily be following a game trail or any trail is not necessarily true. Right. You know, we always like to think, you know, it's going to follow the path of least resistance, like any creature would, opting for, 
you know, uh, an opening or following power lines or, you know. But if who knows? Maybe it was chasing something. Maybe it was taking a shortcut. Uh, they certainly don't seem to care if they're walking through bramble or thorns or anything else for that matter, like we would avoid it. But uh, interesting how he says it was crossing the trail rather than following it. Exactly. That was a nice. That was a nice footprint, Kev. You saw those pictures I sent it I over. I did. I yeah. did. Very cool pictures. Yeah, and I spoke to uh, Jeff, and uh, Jeff is actually going to be opening up a little Bigfoot shop, and uh, he, where you can buy one and bring it home to your large mansion. Yeah, or? new and used Bigfoot. <laughs> what exactly do you buy in a Bigfoot shop? Uh, well, he's going to have, uh, uh, I guess, well, one of the things he was calling me about was he wants to put some of my books up in there. Oh, cool. Uh, which I told him I would uh, accommodate him with. And uh, he also wants to take uh, people out for hikes around some trails in his area and uh, teach them about things you would do or might do, like how to cast a footprint. Um, you know, uh, make it like a little Bigfoot showcase. So it's kind of neat. Uh, how to get how to get twelve shots out of your nine millimeter in five seconds? Yeah, yeah. How to fire rapidly and run like the Dickens, <laughs> <laughs> or at least faster than the person next to you. Yeah, yeah. How to trip the guy next to you. So he becomes bait while you flee the scene. Awesome. But uh, I thought it was interesting, you know. Yeah, that's and, very cool. I'm and just, just having some fun, of course. Yeah, of yeah. course. And just another guy uh, and his wife uh, listening to the podcast, interested in the subject, and out there beating the bushes, finds a footprint. You know, who knows what he'll find next? Yeah. You know. All right, Bill. Our last note comes in from Anne. And Ann writes, I love your podcast. I found it about a week ago. I listen to it every day at work. I finally made it through the first season. So that's good, Ann. You still have a ways to go, and we'll keep adding as fast as we can. (laughs) But she says, Ann says she lives in Utah, about 30 minutes away from the Provo Bigfoot sighting, which I think, Bill, was our first episode. Yeah. Um, And she writes, I glanced through your podcast, and I apologize if I missed it. But I'd love to hear your take on the Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. My son works on big equipment and went to the ranch that borders the Skinwalker Ranch. He said he had goosebumps the whole time he was there. Couldn't wait to get out of there. Yeah. I've read the book and all sorts of material on Skinwalker Ranch. Love to hear what you think. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Yeah, now, in case you're unaware, what was it, uh, the name, Kev? Ann. Okay, so, Ann, if you're unaware, uh, there is uh, a season two underway uh, of the Skinwalker Ranch show, whereby a new owner is taking over that property and is continuing the investigation, uh, albeit for public view this time, in the form of the show. And it's really interesting there are so many things going on over there uh, that they're doing their darndest to study in a scientific fashion uh, high radiation levels, UFO phenomena, cattle mutilation, ghostly apparitions, 
uh, people feeling sick out of nowhere and for no reason, uh, wolves and skinwalkers appearing, just an incredible endless flow of paranormal activity. Uh, and my opinion is that it's legit. Yeah, going back a couple of hundred years, a yeah. lot of documentation. And Bill, you know, you and I haven't talked about it, but like that season two of Skinwalker Ranch is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, season one was as well, but season two is something else. There's a lot going on there. And like in the last couple of episodes, they they uh, interviewed that colonel that was on the original military team with the previous owner of the ranch. Right, Bigelow. Bigelow, yeah. Well, not Bigelow, but the colonel that worked for him. Right, right, right. And um, and he was. They asked him point blank, "What do you think is going on?" Based on everything you have seen when you were there at the ranch, and he said unequivocally, "I think it's a portal to uh, you know another uh, dimension," which is pretty wild to have a military person say that. Yeah, and and just to open your mouth and make a statement like that, because really, we don't know what a portal is yet. We talk about it. Yeah. We're just talking about an entry point from here to there, whatever there would be. Yeah, and Travis uh, touched on it a bit from a scientific standpoint of what that would mean, you know, um, like a wormhole of sorts, scientifically. Right. Some type which of. Which is pretty wild. And, and getting back to Anne, and we did an episode, I think it was around episode 40 on uh, the Skinwalkers uh, generally, and I think we talked about Skinwalker Ranch as well in that, 44 it was. And um, so check it out, and we definitely will do another episode on it uh, as new information continues to come in, because it is a fascinating, super creepy place. Yeah, and uh, folks, you know, there is so much information out there uh, that we look to touch on that we're just scraping the surface of a lot of things. And it's not that we don't want to dig further into this, but uh, there's just so much to talk about and so much to look at that we'll be doing this for a long time. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, Skinwalker, as crazy as that place is, is just another topic of discussion. Absolutely. And uh, we're doing our best to uh, dig into a little bit of everything and anything uh, for your own uh, edification and our own edification as well. So stay with us. Right. Good stuff. Well, that's it for this week, Bill. Another good episode. And uh, I want to thank all of you for giving us those five-star reviews. If you haven't given us one or if you haven't given us one lately, please give us one from your favorite podcast player as those five-star reviews are nearly the only means we have to attract new listeners to the podcast. And as we continue to get new listeners, it's easier uh, to continue to improve the quality of the podcast and continue to keep on our beloved weekly schedule. So thank you so much. And happy Memorial Day. And again, thanks to all you veterans out there for your service. Yes, and double that for me. And uh, folks, go out and buy a couple of my books. Give them away. Read them to the kids. Uh, I rely on you to do that for a little support of the show. And if you should find yourself walking down a trail in the wood, please make sure you always... Carry more gun 
than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight. <laughs>